Hello, this is episode number nine of the Clean Sport Collective podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung. I'll be joined today for our interview by Kara Goucher herself as we interview her husband, Adam Goucher, in what I believe is our most powerful discussion yet on this topic of clean sport. Adam often takes a backseat to Kara in the limelight, but was an elite level runner himself with four NCAA championships, also an Olympian who competed in the 5K. And Adam competed in the sport of track and field at a time before EPO testing had been introduced. So he was competing at a time where the sport was theoretically even more dirty in the late 90s and early 2000s. And so his perspective on that and what it did to his career and to the potential earnings lost in his world is really powerful. It's also powerful to hear him talk about his support of Kara as she made decisions around her own career, eventually leaving Nike and her training group there, the Oregon Project, because of some of the violations they were seeing in that world and that they would eventually come out and report to the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency. And so... This is just a really powerful interview. Adam often stays behind the scenes in some of these discussions, but is very much at the forefront and does not mince words in this interview. I think you'll find it really powerful. Also, I would encourage you to check out another stand Adam has taken recently after we did this interview where he talked about Kara's experience with Nike through her pregnancy and post-pregnancy where Nike suspended her contract and wasn't supporting her through that time in her career and so he talks about the impact of those decisions from Nike including how her contract was suspended as well as what she did to come back probably too quickly post-pregnancy so that she could compete and start earning again for her family and so Adam shares his perspective on that time in their lives early in their the life of their son and the impact it had on them and on Kara in a recent blog that was posted to Kara's website. So I'm going to share that in the show notes as well because I think it also raises another important topic about how we can make this sport better for all those involved, especially the athletes and especially the female athletes. But with this interview, I won't say more because I think it's powerful on its own and you'll want to listen all the way to the end where Adam shares his perspective on how he would talk to their son Colt about the state of the sport and about clean sport. And I think that's a real, really powerful finish. So with that, let's bring Adam and Kara on to talk about it. Welcome Adam Goucher to the podcast. How are you doing today, sir? Um, I'm doing great. Thanks for, thanks for asking. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good. I don't think enough people know you. As Adam Goucher, I think most people know you as Mr. Kara Goucher, yeah. which I know you're proud of as well. It's an extremely insulting <laughs> term, term that people use. You created it. Describe. You created yeah. it, big yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You it created is. it. It is. You created the shirt. It was a mistake. <laughs> Regretting it now? <laughs> no. I, so, yes, most people, I guess, if they do now, probably. Know you that way? No, yes. You... Are Mr. Caragoucher, you're also a, a business owner, Run the Edge. Yep. But I want to go back to your beginning in sport. Tell the audience about how you got started in sport. I know it wasn't just in running mm-hmm. and how your experience with sport evolved through your early years. Yeah, sure. I um I was very athletic as a as a child, so um I loved playing all sorts of different sports, uh, baseball football, um, basketball. And then, excuse me, when I got into junior high school, which was seven, eight, ninth grade, um, I tried track and field and, um, I kind of did all everything, you know, just cause it's fun. And you, at that point in your life, you can. (laughs) So, um, I ran one of the events I did was the mile and, um, turned out I was, I was pretty good at it. I won this, what, they call the city championship, um, which is like the city of Colorado Springs, uh, <laughs> district. There you go. Jam- you know, I think it was just the district schools. Um, but, um, and, um, 
I ran, I ran like, like 523 it's at altitude in Colorado Springs and, um, never trained or anything. You just didn't train. I just <laughs> didn't do that. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, but I, I got in, that's kind of my first experience with kind of distance running, I guess with, the, you know, anything more than like a hundred meters. Um, but no, I, I, I was really one of my favorite sports was, was basketball and I loved football. So I continued on with all of that, um, basketball, football, and track, um, into going into my sophomore year. And that's, I, I kind of got talked into trying out for cross country instead of doing football. And, uh, my sisters and my mom were like, Hey, just go try cross country. You might be pretty good <laughs> at it. You never know. And, um, if, uh, if, if you don't like it next year, go back to football. So I was like, all right, fine, I'll do it. And, um, and it turned out I was pretty good. So I, I, I like tried <laughs> it. It's like I, I won state three months later and <laughs> um, went on to Foot Locker national championships. And, um, you know, that kind of, then I was like, oh, I guess I am pretty good at this. So I, I kind of, you know, football was out at that point. And, um, but you know, I'm just a competitive person. And one thing I loved about running was, I mean, there's a team aspect in, in everything else you're doing with, with, when it's basketball, football, baseball, anything like that, which, which is a lot of fun. And you miss out on that when you're, when you're running, um, unless you really have a lot of other people on the team that you're, you're competing for a state title or a national championship or something. But, um, at the same time, it's also kind of fun being out there, not being able to, have it to not being able to def depend on anyone else but yourself so you know sometimes you're not feeling that great in in a basketball game or something your teammates can carry you you know if you're having a bad day but um one of the things I really liked was being out there and being like no it's me and you know it's all on me and and I enjoyed it so that's just kind of how it progressed. And I went, you know, I went on to the university of Colorado. Um, I won four NCAA titles there and, um, realized, well, I'm probably going to be able to, you know, actually fulfill a lifelong dream of becoming an Olympian. If I, if I stay the course and train really hard. So, you know, yeah. that's, that's kind of my, at what point did you specialize in running only and drop the other sports? it was kind of forced on me going into my junior year. <laughs> so <laughs> the, it really was After down to basketball. Title. Yeah, no, it was it, the basketball coach was like, you know, we as a team travel off season, you know, in the summertime and, um, you know, we'd go to camps and stuff like that. And you won't, cause I wouldn't be able to go, even if I wasn't running, I wouldn't be able to go cause I actually had to work, you know? And, um, and he was like, listen, it's kind of mandatory. So if you don't make it, you're not going to be able to be on the team. And so, and he's like, plus you're doing pretty good at running. You should <laughs> I think it was just his way of saying, dude, just don't even, you're, just go do you're, that. you're, you know, you're a pretty good basketball player, but you have no hope of going on beyond high school. And so just maybe focus on the running. And so, yeah, my junior year going, yeah, going into my junior year. Talk about your influences early on before you turn pro in terms of what, who helped you become better at doing your thing and why, why did they help you? Well, <clears throat> my co college coach, well, <laughs> honestly, my coaches, my high school coach, starting with my high school coach, uh, Judy Fellhauer, she was phenomenal just with making it fun, making it, um, I, we didn't train very much. Um, and she just taught me how to write, you know, write out my goals, focus on my goals, focus on my mind and body when I was going into running, you know, in, to, to a race. And, um, you know, just kind of taught me the process and, um, got me excited about being the best. And, um, so she was, I mean, just, I was very lucky to, to have her as my, my high school coach. And then moving on to the university of Colorado, Mark Wetmore was my coach and he's, 
I don't think there's anyone out there that can inspire and get you or get someone fired up as much as, as he can. And, um, man, just his belief in me and my, my ability and what I could do and with training hard, working hard, staying focused, staying, you know, on task and, and, and doing everything right. I, I could, I could be the best no matter what. So, um, those two people were very, very huge and integral in, in my development as an athlete. So bringing Kara in, I know you were also at the University of Colorado, also coached by Mark Wetmore. What was it about that experience that helped you shape as an athlete? I think Adam would agree with this, and maybe he can elaborate on it more, but it was just drilling into us. I mean, one of those, his big words is righteousness, living a righteous life doing things the right way. And for me, it was the first time, I mean, no one in Duluth, Minnesota was talking to me about like people cheating, right? Like mm-hmm. we did, I know nothing about that, but, and it's not that he focused on that, but he focused so much on doing things the right way, believing in yourself, um, finding out what your limits were and doing it all with what you were given and not, and never any shortcuts. Mm-hmm. And so I think that left a huge impact on me personally. And I know it did on Adam as well. Definitely. Do you have, I'm curious about your different experiences. Kara came a little bit later, but not too much later. Do you feel like you had the same experience with Mark as your coach? I think mine was like a slow burn a little bit because I came in, I mean, I was not a superstar like Adam was. I had struggled my last, I was kind of that stereotypical girl that's really good when they're young and then they go through puberty and they slow down. And so I had made it to Foot Locker Um, as a sophomore and junior, but as a senior, I wasn't even close to making it. And so when I came in, I also came in, um, there was a female coach when I was recruited, but when I arrived, there was no female coach. She had left over the summer. (laughs) So um, it just was like a little bit slower relationship to build, I think, because I wasn't dreaming of winning a national title and I didn't have all these big goals, but he was the one that really refocused me onto believing I could do that. And I would say... You know, I was at school for five years, and I would say by that third year, we were really close, and I feel like we had a very similar relationship like he and Adam did, Whereas, but he and Adam definitely had that sooner. It's weird to talk about righteousness in the context of running training, though. So for you, Adam, maybe you would or wouldn't use the same word in terms of your lessons from Wetmore, but how did how did you take those lessons of doing things the right way, and what did that ultimately mean for you as you then progressed into a pro career? Well, I think what, um, what it did for me, I, I, I'm, I always kind of, you know, some people might've described me in college and maybe even to this day a little bit that maybe, maybe I have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. Um, I, I definitely did coming into uh, college, you know, in the University of Colorado, and um, I, I just had the belief that if I worked harder than everybody else, then I could beat everybody else, and not just by putting in the miles and just you know running the best workouts and you know all that, but getting enough rest, um, not partying, not going out on the weekends, not you know not not drinking, not doing, you know, drugs, you know, like what party drugs and, um, and just focusing on eating right, eating healthy training, doing everything that I possibly could, um, that I thought, you know, that wouldn't, could make me better. Um, that, that would give me the ability to, to, to be the best. And, um, I just, I, I don't know what it was. I just never liked the idea of shortcuts, you know, taking, taking the easy way. Um, and so for me, I just, it's kind of what I thrived on was coming from my background, um, you know, not, which was, I, I had a kind of a rough tri- childhood. It was a little bit kind of messed up <laughs> and, um, but I thrived on it, you know, I was like, this is, this is what makes me me. And, um, 
that's what makes me tough and that's what makes me stubborn and and um that's what's going to make me the best and so that belief and yeah that's what i that's what i got out of it so you eventually turned pro signed a contract with fila out of the university of colorado There's actually a picture of you, I think, in this room. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Look at that! With your Fila kit on. That's that's a, that's a cool photo. We need to get share that on <laughs> on the social with this. But so you turn pro. Yeah. After winning NCAA titles in college, you worked hard, and then you want and you were the best. <coughs> At what point did that? Did you realize that there were those that were taking shortcuts, and that you might be getting pe- getting beat by people? that hadn't actually taken the right path? Oh, uh, I was in college when that, when okay. that happened. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're, when you, I, I was lucky enough to be able to make a few, uh, international teams while I was still in college. Um, and that's probably when I first realized like, ah, yeah, you're all things aren't equal you know, in, in terms of, of just training and what you put in your body, like all that work, there's, there's something else that's giving others advantages. And, um, you know, I, I knew that it was out there, but I was, um, also kind of a stubborn of stubborn belief that it didn't matter. (laughs) Like, fine, you do your drugs. I'm still going to beat you. Um, that's kind of the way I looked at it. Please tell us the story of when you kick someone off the CU track. <laughs> uh, okay, sure. Um, well, that was actually right after, um, I after I turned pro, uh, and where there was a a certain German um, steeplechaser who ran at. Um, University of, I think Oklahoma, I think it was Oak, Oak State actually back in the day, um, Oklahoma, yeah, Oak State, um, who was maybe top three in the big, well, it would have been, I guess it would have been Big Twelve at that point, um, and um, so he wasn't even winning Big Twelves, you know, I don't, uh, he might have made it to NCAA's, but regardless. Right after that, he was one of the best steeplechasers in the world, <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. Um, and competing for like a, a, a medal at the world championships. And um, this, this guy with his, I guess, soon coach happened to be in town training and they came out to the track and I was like, oh, hell no. Uh, no. <laughs> and I, I was, they wanted to work out on the track and Mark wasn't there yet. Um, Alan Culpepper was there, um, and he's probably still um, like embarrassed about it or something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Alan Culpepper, another great yeah, CU runner. Yeah, I think he he didn't. I think he appreciated what I did, but I don't think he would have done it the same way. Um, and basically, I said, "Listen, I was like, no, you can't work out here." And they're like, "Why? It's open. It's open. We won't work out here." I said, "Nope, no, <laughs> you cannot work here and work out here." And they kept pressing, and I finally said, "Nope." You will not work out here. No drug cheats allowed. Straight to his face. Wow. And it's, and they were like, in, you know, like they hadn't he hadn't tested positive, right? You know, and so they were just like appalled. And I'm like, get, you know, like <laughs> what are you talking about? What do you mean? And I'm like, get out, go see ya, go work <laughs> out somewhere else. And um, no, that's a passion. I'm like, I'm not gonna be. You're not gonna step foot on my home track. You're not going to step foot into my house being an unethical cheater. Right. You know, uh-uh, ain't going to happen. Get out. And so, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what it was. And you're what, 23 years old or so at the time? 22, 23? Yeah, 23, maybe. Yeah, probably. That's pretty bold. I'm, I, <laughs> I don't take a lot of shit. <laughs> so I don't, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, and people hate that about me but <laughs> some people some people and like more it. people love that about me so i mean we're talking about a time that was what 20 years ago or so mm-hmm. 
you had your suspicions or mm-hmm. so or so plus or minus or so <laughs> <laughs> well you had your suspicions about that athlete because of this uh-huh. crazy leap in performance yeah yeah what else were you seeing hearing I mean, when you went to these international meets what what were, what were the suspicious things that you saw in other athletes that raised your eyebrows? Usually it was it was just the groups they were with. They're always with a certain agent or they were with a, you know, under a certain um, you know, training group in in some far off country where no one could ever find them or, right. or and um it, it was just something you knew. And I did, I do realize that, you know, and I did even then, I, although it was, would have been hard for me to admit that I wasn't, if all, everything, all things equal, that I probably wasn't the absolute best in the world. Um, but I did believe, and I, I still to this day believe that I was definitely a, capable of being a medal contender at a world championship or Olympic games, no doubt about it. If everybody was there and clean without any help, um, substance help, yep. <laughs> uh, guaranteed. I, I just know, I know that. And, um, you just, it's just something about the fact when you're out and you're racing, you're in a race with somebody and you, you're at that level of you running so fast and so hard and so intense and you're just grinding away and you're, you're you know, passing people, people are dropping, people are falling off and you're getting to that point of I'm at my, my limit here and somebody just pulls away from you that is, and not just pulls away from you, but it, it, it usually comes down to like the last kick, the, the 400 meter kick, right? Where they go from running, they're running 13, you know, you're running say five, in a 5k, we're running 13, 10 pace, 13 in that range right yep. um and they go in the last quarter and drop a 50 second quarter <laughs> and you're like what the like <laughs> and you're all out and you're still feeling pretty good and you're all out running closing a 55 or 56 you know yep. that would be me um they drop you like you're standing like still. standing still yep. and and you're like well and i was i what i was a fast i had was a fast runner. Like, I mean, over 400 meters, I, I, I could run 48 and a quarter, 48 high, but it was sub 49. <laughs> so that's really fast for you those know, like, that don't know. Running. So, <laughs> that's so insanely fast. Right. So, I mean, to be in that situation and then to be like, well, it, you know, there's just, there's just reality. And then right. there's not, you know, when, when you see at the end of a race that's at any of the championship races or any of the races that are going full blast and you see these these few guys that just all of a sudden close in a 50 point at the end of a 10k or and the end of a 5k great. and, and then they great. and they finish and they're just like oh this is the most wonderful thing ever and they're not tired they're just jumping up and down running around you're like bullshit bullshit no yeah, yeah. that's not how it works i don't care how fit you are i don't care doesn't matter that's not reality yeah, I call that video game times when people start dropping video game times. Right. It's not real. Nope. How did that make you feel in some of those races where you thought you could be up there winning, getting top three, but then to just get absolutely demolished in the final lap by people that seem to not be doing it the right way? How did that make you feel? Oh, it was infuriating. I mean, it was just, it would, it was, and kind of demoralizing at the same time because that stubborn belief I had spe- more so, you know, when I was younger of didn't matter. I don't care if you're doing drugs or not, I'm going to beat you. It was like, yeah, no, I'm not. no, I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like that reality. And you're like, shit, like, I can't like this, this sucks, you know? And then it, it just, you, then you proceed with the next race and then in the next year of training and everything else. And it just, you end up back in your routine of going through and, you race them again, you know, you're just, you're constantly meeting up with these people and competing against them. And, and you're kind of always finishing in the same similar spot, um, place wise. I would say, do you remember Edmonton world championships? Yes. I was just your athlete support. 
Um, but I remember we had a real hope. It was up at elevation. Yeah. yeah. You were so fit. There was this really big hope with Mark and you and me just being your wife or almost your wife that like this was like a golden moment. Like you were being given this awesome opportunity because world championships were in Edmonton, which is at is like I don't remember, maybe three thousand feet of elevation yeah. or something. And we were so hopeful you made the final with ease and then the final came and you know the last 600 meters was just just devastating it, yeah it was and i just remember that as like a specific moment yeah. where i felt like you were really like oh my god <laughs> you know yeah that was a good uh, definitely a moment of op- eye-opening you know being at you know kind of going in there very healthy very fit um, excited um, and optimistic that that will be a, um, a that'll that'll level the field a little bit and then nothing <laughs> didn't matter yeah and that was probably I think a moment where within the race when it happened where I was just like it actually caught me off guard to the point of like I was like oh my god like what the hell just happened and then you just not jogging in, but you're like, wow, that's how did that just happen? And I'm, I couldn't do anything to respond, you know? Um, and, um, so that was a moment in the race where you're like kind of defeated emotionally as well as at the end of the day, you know? Uh, And it's not just being frustrated that you couldn't demonstrate your ability, but there's also financial elements to this for you as especially at that time contracts probably very much performance oriented i don't know what your contract looked like i think you were training with nike at that time so it it, either way yeah it affects your pay too so did that ever come into your brain oh absolutely um yeah i mean once i once I was signed, had, uh, signed on with Nike, um, it wasn't as much performance-based. Uh, well, well, I mean, you, you had bonuses that you could earn. You had um, you know, bonuses you could earn on time and place and ranking. Um, but yeah, if, you're, it, you know, if you didn't, weren't the top you know, number one in the US and top 10 in the world, then they could reduce you. And they just really, you know, all right, yeah, now we're taking shop say say goodbye to that money and so it's it's a tough situation because you're just like if all things being equal um i you know it would have been a different story and so it's just like that's kind of like the way it is it's you (laughs) you'd almost joke about oh yeah i was i finished eighth but i'm the top clean guy I'm the number I'm number one clean guy or I'm number I was in second clean finisher you know and that's with other athletes that's what we we talk about you just that's just the way it was and it's like kind of a joke but it's it's sad it's sad that you're living that reality and you were also competing at a time when EPO was becoming prominent and they I guess you competed before they really had a test for that as well so when did you learn about this thing called EPO? I, I think it was, I, I think I first heard about it um, probably around 96 Olympic trials. You know, I was in college. I was still in, I was a sophomore in college. Um, and, um, you know, I, I mean, I, my whole thing was, well, why would they do that? Like, I, I had a hard time of saying, okay, there's a pharmaceutical company that produces a drug that's for, you know, cancer patients that are you know that are that allows them to bring up their red blood cell count to increase their hematocrit so it helps them as they're breathe and so they're they're healthy you know they can live and um and then you go okay so people say oh this works for them i'm gonna now what would it do for a healthy person right um and i just always had a hard time my my biggest thing then was like well the drug companies have to know Right, that they're that this is happening, and at least this was my way of thinking. So why don't they, don't they just put like some sort of marker in there that that would distinguish that there's something that's not natural in the blood? Um, so if you got if you 
peed, you know, you did, you did a drug test. I, at that time, we didn't even do blood, I don't think. No. no. It was just urine. So, um, you know, but they could have, there could have been a marker that was put in there, something that would just, that would show that so that the drug testing, you know, bo- governing bodies, those bodies of, of drug testers could figure, f- figure out that or know that this isn't legit. There's something in here that, you know, if you're just looking at your, yeah, I mean, now I always think now with blood, with the blood test, getting your blood taken, you know, they can look at your hematocrit and all your, those levels, but then I don't know, but by putting something in there that they could distinguish that, you know, and, and it was that realization of they, they don't, probably they don't care, <laughs> most likely, right? They're not going to take the time to do that because they're still selling their product. And um, whether it's going to athletes and in an unethical, dishonest manner, it's sad to say, but they don't care. They're getting their money for it. And, um, you know, that's, that's just kind of the realization, the beginning of realizing the lack of integrity in our sport and just not just in our sport, but in the world in general. It's also weird to think about putting something, a foreign substance in your body. Right. At all. Yeah. Much less for performance. It's just weird for me to think about injecting something in my body. Sure. At all. Wait, I have to quick tell this story yeah. about Adam. He was, we were at the track. I, I can't remember if we were in Europe or something. And we saw some that we were pretty sure was a jug drug, someone that was cheating. And Adam goes, oh, let me just take my EPO. And he pretended like he was taking pills. And I was like, that is the sweetest thing. That is not how EPO works. <laughs> it has to be injected. And he was like, seriously? <laughs> I, so the naivete came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I just, yeah, exactly. That's amazing. That is amazing. That's why we love you, Adam. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was a, another eye-opening. Yeah, I mean, why would you, I can't imagine. And I remember that I, I a USA Today article, I think it was right before US Nationals in the three, indoor 3K or 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 NCAAs and I did I did an, an interview with this guy and he brought up drugs and cheating and the pressures of it and I was just like I remember saying to myself I I can't imagine doing that or why you would do that because you would how do you look yourself in the in the face like you're look at your reflection in the mirror like how do you look at yourself and be proud of what you did knowing that you cheated to get there like that's that's what's foreign to me like how how could you achieve something so great and then be happy about it because you it's a fake it's all a lie and i don't that's the hardest thing for me to understand with these people is they they don't care it's all i guess it's, it comes down to all about notoriety fame and money and instead of instead of their own intrinsic belief that they're good and that they did it on their own and yeah i do think there is a dimension that when you get in with the wrong people there could be the external pressures that you can excuse or not but that become a part of the equation too Cause there are those that just get in the wrong world right? and are taken advantage of perhaps. Mm, yeah, it's not I, always on the athlete, even though they should know better. Oh yeah. But, but that can be challenging. I do think that sometimes it's, it's the networks of people like you talked about. You could see the groups <laughs> that were right. sort of the dirty ones and you get into those networks and it can take a weak person and perhaps get them to do things that they didn't think they might do on their own. Did you ever want to quit because of drugs? Uh, yeah. Um, well, I had my moments of what's the point? And, you know, being so frustrated. But until, until I wasn't capable of running anymore and competing, I... I was never, I would, ne- I never seriously thought, oh, I'm just going to quit, you know, because as long as there was still a fighting chance, you know, then I guess I always lived on that dream of there might be that moment that could still happen. And um, so I think by the end of my career, I was very tainted in the f- sense of just like the, against the sport in general, um, n- not just drugs, but just, 
everything about it um, from from the you know governing bodies USA Track and Field, IAAF, the you know the IOC, um, and you know essentially realizing that Nike owns it all hmm. and realizing how corrupt everything is and whatever Nike wants, Nike gets. So I was at that point in my career, like this is, it's just all bullshit. Like it's all fake. And definitely by the end of my career, I was really frustrated with it all because you could just see that it didn't matter to anybody that these athletes were cheating or these coaches and programs were cheating to get to where they were. Um, that the only thing that truly mattered was the notoriety, making sure that that athlete was wearing a specific logo when they won and, um, and money yeah, and making money. So that's a good segue into talking about Kara's experience at Nike and what you guys have both publicly talked about. We won't talk about the details of that case, but turning to you, Kara, at what point did Adam start talking to you about things that were happening at the Oregon project and how it wasn't right? Yeah, I think that we both saw stuff that we thought was unethical pretty early on, but not in the, in the, in the sense of doping anything like that we just saw stuff that we were like oh yeah. man we wish we weren't associated with that you know yeah. like we're not comfortable with that um and, and what she means really is the simplest things that to some people may see may may think is no big deal but to us it's like it's the a rules huge are deal the rules, and that's you know? like right ncaa violation stuff those violations from the day was i mean made me uncomfortable from day one that we showed up on there and knowing that they're cheating, even if it's some people be like, ah, who cares? No big deal. Right. It's a big deal to me. It's a very big deal to me. And that's one of the, yeah. So that was, that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. We saw things that made us uncomfortable. Yeah. But I would say as far as stuff that we felt was breaking anti-doping violations. Yeah. It happened. It, when it, when we, we, we was together. It was not Adam in my ear. A lot of people think Adam was in my ear trying to mm -hmm. tell me they're cheating. It, actually, I called you at a specific meet. And I said, I don't believe what I'm seeing. You weren't with me. Yep. And you said, do you think they could be cheating? I said, yes. Mm -hmm. And I qu we quickly <clears throat> dismantled from the program after that, within a couple months. So, but that, that had to have been hard because you had success there. And... You obviously had relationships there that were complicated, but still important to you. So what were those early conversations like when you're making that decision that you have to move a different direction? It was really hard, um, I think. But once I make a decision, it's, it's just done. I remember the flight back from Daegu. I told Adam, it's over. I'm gone. And Adam was like, Really? I mean, these are people that I consider family. So it's not just like you're like, oh, I don't like you anymore. You know, these are people that have a significant influence and impact on your life that, I mean, you literally have feelings of like they're family to you. But once I made that decision, I was unwavering in it. And Adam was just totally steadfast. Like, I think he feared that I would wobble on it. Yeah. But um, I didn't. And he was just out, he was just no, ready for me. I was ready for her to leave long before she actually did. Mm -hmm. um, and but I knew that I couldn't be the one to tell her that that she had to figure it out on her own. Um, because had I been like, "You need to leave. You need to leave. This is this is crazy. It's unhealthy. It's not right." Um, she would have, I, I believe that she would have, it, that would have affected our relationship. She would have felt like I was not 100% in, not, not on board with her and what she was doing and like what she could do as an athlete. So I, I felt like I had to let her figure that out on her own. The, the irony is that this in Daegu, 
she's there. I'm, we're talking on the phone, um, through Skype, whatever. And, um, she's crying. Like every time I'm like, this is ridiculous. And, and I was heading over like four days or five days after you got there. And, you know, every day was just drama and you were just emotional wreck. And I was like, this is it. This is the time I, I can't wait any longer. She's going to go through, do this, fulfill her part of the deal on, on the track. And, um, when that's over, I'm going to tell her, I think she needs to leave. And she literally, we were, it was actually, we were in the cab going to the airport and she said, I, I have to leave. I have to leave. And I went, are you, I'm like, I was, it was, I was like literally probably maybe five minutes or less from saying, listen, I've been thinking about this a lot and you know, it, you need to move on. So it's just ironic that she happened to beat me to it. Yay. Yay. (laughs) It's cool though to me that you you will gave her the space to get to that place on her own. Yeah. As, as husbands, it's not always easy to do that. No, it's not. It's not. Um, and in a lot of ways they were, they were pitting her against me anyway. Um, and so it was tough knowing that and knowing that she was in a tough spot. So I couldn't just be like, yo, let's go. You got to leave. <laughs> it, Cause it would have really, you know, it would have caused a, a, a riff big time. You yeah. Know? And so anyway, so you leave yep. and it isn't till later that you decide to come public with these allegations. From what I understand, Adam, this was originally your idea. Mm-hmm. to talk to the news outlets about what you saw at the Oregon project. Eventually, obviously Kara got involved with that with BBC ProPublica, David Epstein, all mm-hmm. telling the story and we'll link to those things in the show notes. But why, why did you decide that that needed to happen? Um, because it's the right thing to do. I mean, honestly, and, um, you feel betrayed in that situation of we were lied to we were fed a bunch of crap to get us out there to be a part of that program and that betrayal like it is it's hard to take and to know what they're doing I'm I'm not gonna let that go it didn't matter. I don't, I don't care if, if it was them or anybody else. could have been anybody else. If I know and I'm confident in that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk. Um, I had already, way before we went to USADA, I had already talked to FBI in, in Portland, people that I knew, um, and um, a number of times and uh sat down and would talk about it for hours and they're like okay well we need to you know they were aware well aware (laughs) um and so it just happened that what probably maybe two years later so we we went to to uh into usada and and talked with travis and the rest of the team there but you know, doing that, that it's going to bring a lot of backlash. Did you think about that? Uh, I thought, yeah, a little bit, but I don't care. <laughs> I could give a shit less. Right. I don't, I don't care about the people that are going to be, um, you know, Nike and Salazar and, you know, worshipers. Um, because they're, those people will always be there no matter what, no matter all the proof you show in the world, you show them, no matter all the proof, they're still going to be on their side. And it's like talking to a brick wall. So you're not going to get anywhere cause you're talking to a brick wall. Um, and so for me, I don't, I don't care. I don't care about trolls that come on and, and, um, try to bash you, you know, your opinions, try to take you out by, by talking trash about you and saying all that other guy I don't I don't care um because I'm out doing the right thing and I can look at myself in the mirror and know every single day that I'm living my life right 
and I'm not going to be some pushover that's just going to let it happen. And there are a lot, a lot of pushovers out there that have seen stuff, that have been aware of stuff, and have never, ever grown the balls to go in and just let it be. Tell them what you know. Dating all the way back to Athletics West. Right. I have people that to this day will come up to us and say, I'm so proud. I'm so proud of what you guys are doing, what you're doing. It's just amazing. And I'm going to look at them and go, well, you, you, if you were man enough, this happened, you know, it wasn't a woman, obviously. Right. If you're yeah, man, you, you would have done that. Man. You would have yeah. done that 40 years ago, 35 years ago, whatever it was. Right. Because I know I've heard you talk. I've heard the stories that you've told people. And there's a lot of people out there. And they're all just wusses. <laughs> they're all worried about, I don't know what they're worried about. Obviously not integrity. So Kara, originally Adam said he was going to talk publicly about this, but you ultimately chose to as well. Talk about that decision. It was a tough decision. We had been approached by the media for years. It wasn't just like all of a sudden we were approached. I think Adam was like, this is this piece is actually going through like this is actually going to happen and I want to be a part of it and I'll protect you and you don't need to be a part of it. And he did the interview and he was gone like a whole day <laughs> doing this yeah. interview. And then before they flew out the next day, they came by to meet me. And I that night I just started to feel like this nagging feeling of like, I want to I want to be brave like Adam. And I don't I, I just I wish I like, should I talk? I talked to my good friends about it. I prayed about it. And finally, I said, if you guys come back, I'll, I'll do it. It's interesting the way the piece ended up being edited is that it's funny. Adam says, like, I don't care what people say about me, but like, I'm not as hard, like thick skinned as he is. And the way the piece was edited was that it looked like I was the hero that had come forward when really Adam was. But so I received a lot of the the blowback. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that I think we did not expect that so much. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I don't regret it. It definitely has affected my career. It's exhausting. You know, we go places. We have people that people very involved in the sport that we have to see that have threatened us or have said stuff about us behind our backs <laughs> or have tried to affect my careers in other ways. And, and I've, it's gotten back to me. So it's very it can be super uncomfortable. But I mean, we don't have to carry around any lies anymore. And that feels really good. Yep. But it has been hard. Mm. How many years now since you came forward to USADA? Over six. Six years of dealing with it. How has it affected your life in ways that were unexpected? I mean, I think it shortened my career a little bit. Without a doubt. Um, it's really hard to describe to people, but if you're not living it, it's just like a, it's just like an underlying anxiety um, this investigation has been ongoing as that's like the phrase that the media is told, but they don't people don't, and I, I can't really talk about it. We can't talk about it, but that they don't understand just like how intense it has been for us. And it's, it's, it's just been really hard. It's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting. It has affected our son. He has worried about it and he stresses about it and he just wants it to be over and it's exhausting for us. Um, it's it's definitely affected my ability to run and race. Um, so, I mean, at, at the end of the day, I don't regret it, but it hasn't been without consequences. Well, thank you to you both for doing that job of stepping forward. One final question as we wrap this up for you, Adam. Kara mentions Colt. If you were to tell him, one, how to live his life in terms of these these things that we've talked about today, but also to whether or not to compete in a sport. What would you tell him? To compete in this sport? In this sport. Um, well, in the state of the sport right now, I'd say don't bother. Because um, it's all lies. It's all fake. And it's really sad. Because there are a lot, a lot of people out there that were just like me, just like Kara, and they're still putting in their dues, they're still working hard, and they're still hoping... They're going to make some money at this and, and maybe make an Olympic team, 
you know, run really fast times, um, but they're being robbed. And um, because the because people aren't doing anything about it until until they actually do until it actually matters to our supposed governing bodies um, then we're not going to get anywhere with it so I've always said this if he at the end of the day wants to do that fine I'll support him but I would never encourage him to do it that's a somber note but I get it it's sad but I get it it is sad because it is a beautiful sport yep in its purest form in its purest form if you want to know <laughs> never mind I don't even go there I was going to say if you want to know the purest form it's it's all the people out there running the marathons <laughs> and then you realize that all those people <laughs> that want to be top in their age group are out there doing stuff you know right, and right. it's like wait what <laughs> I mean it's 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 incredible what you it's unreal and it's like so yes it is somber because it is a beautiful sport and imagine if you could believe in it imagine if what you saw was real imagine if what those results were were true non-aided by drugs or shoes with carbon plates in them and other things or or the politics of sport or the politics of sport imagine that it's something that i can't but i would hope and wish for for the future well that's part of the reason why we're doing the podcast so thank you adam for joining (laughs) us thank you kara for joining with him i really appreciate the brutal honesty and i completely understand and respect the black and white view that you bring to this so Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for letting me be on. There you go. Adam Goucher, everyone. Hopefully you can appreciate his clear perspective on this topic. And as I mentioned in the intro, there's more to check out on Adam's stances in sport, not just on clean sport. So I would also encourage you to check out the blog he wrote about Kara's support or lack thereof by her sponsor Nike through her pregnancy and post-pregnancy. Again, I'll include that in the show notes. Otherwise, also, definitely go to cleansport.org. Take the pledge if you haven't already, either as a fan, an athlete yourself, as a race director, or perhaps as a sponsor, so that we can continue to build the community of those that support doing things the right way in sport. So with that, we'll wrap it here. Thank you for listening. Thank you again to Adam and Kara for sharing their journey. And check us out in a couple weeks when the next episode posts. Until then, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at CleanSportCO. That's at CleanSportCo. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.